Let us come before the Lord and prepare our hearts to listen to His words. Lord, we thank you that you gave us your word. Speak to us through your word. And we pray this afternoon as we come, as we listen to your word, we pray, God, you prepare our hearts. May our, I pray that our hearts will be teachable, moldable, and may your Holy Spirit continue to challenge us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the past few years, I know most of us have sizable DGs, but I don't think any one of you who have experienced what I experienced in my DG over the past two years. I think so. That over the past two years, we have six babies in our DG. And the latest was a pair of twins. And as a DG, we always look forward to seeing those babies. And now the question every time, once in a while, you ask, is this baby coming? Is, is so-and-so bringing the babies? And we all look forward to holding them, playing with them, and just cuddling them. Why? Because they are so cute. They are so lovely. They are so cuddly. And each one of them is unique in their very own ways. As you see each one of them, you know, we, we see how unique they are and how they react, how they respond to things, and how they respond to us. But they have all one thing in common. And that one thing in common is they are all needing their parents to care for them day and night. So part of all the lovely, cuddly photos of, of uh, the babies in our DG, we'll get WhatsApp messages and say, pray for us, you know, baby is not sleeping well, pray for us, baby is not eating well, pray for us, I can't, we can't come DG tonight because uh, baby is uh, down with a fever. So this come part and parcel of us enjoying the presence of the babies, but also praying alongside the parents who will be bringing out, up these babies. So they are cuddly, they are lovely, they are cute, but they are also helpless. They're helpless, they needed to be fed, they needed to be changed, they needed to be looked after, they needed to be carried. Have you ever wondered that the day that Jesus was born, the day that Jesus entered into our world, he entered our world as that helpless baby. Just like the six babies in my DG and every other baby, cuddly, cute, lovely, and I believe, helpless. This baby starts as a helpless baby, but this baby is going to be is a very unique baby as well because this baby will mark a permanent difference in our history. And so John, the gospel writer, or the gospel of John, started his, his gospel very differently. So there are four gospels, for those who are not familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke starts their gospel by showing the prophecy and showing how Jesus came to being uh, to Mary and Joseph. But John, the gospel writer, started his gospel by drawing our attention to the true identity of this child. And his purpose was very clear. He stated his purpose clearly in John 20, 31, that whoever reads this account may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, we, may have, we will have life in his name. And that brings bring me to my, my, my first point. The word was God, 
and was with God in the beginning. This is how John began his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you notice that John began his gospel with these three words, in the beginning? If you know your Bible well, which other books begin with in the beginning? Genesis. Are you good at hearing whispers there? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 begins with in the beginning. I don't think it's coincidental that John began with one in the beginning and Genesis began with in the beginning. The Genesis account, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, gave us the creation account. God showing us and revealing to us how this world come to be. God was a creator, and God put what was formless, put form into what was formless. And I think John, the gospel writer, started with these three words in the beginning because he wanted to point his hearer, his reader, back to the point where time begin. Because I think he is trying to say, and he wanted to say, that this moment in history is as important as that moment when God created everything on earth, the created the heavens and the earth. Because this point in history is going to make, going to be the turning point in our history. So John, by saying in the beginning, he's trying to say that, remember that time? Now this is a new beginning. And later on, you'll see you'll carry themes of creation into his gospel message. So John proclaimed that in the beginning, before time began, the Word was there. Do we know in, creation, in Genesis, God created the world and all the creatures in it, and John is saying, God, the Word, was with God at that beginning point. And some may ask, so is, does it mean that the Word is a created being? John anticipated that question, and he continued on in verse 3 and verse 4 and says, that the Word is not a created, it's not a created being, because the Word was God Himself, and all things were made, were created through Him. And then he goes on to say, without the Word, nothing was made. So what is John in, in essence saying? God, this Word is not a created being, because through this Word, all creation come to be. And interestingly, you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, One twenty-six says, "Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness." So we know, isn't it? Us, our refer to plural. Is that there's a there's a collective whole? And here in in John chapter one, we are kind of led into who is that us, the our at creation. And here we know the word was pre present together with God at creation. 
And therefore, when God says, let us, he's referring to God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the hour referring same thing to the God the Father and God the Word and God the Spirit. And so why is John wanting the reader, us, we to grasp? He wants us to grasp the nature and the identity of the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. But what we don't see in our English translation is the understanding of the word was. So if you go back to the Greek language, the word was, was is in the imperfect tense. And imperfect tense in Greek means an action con- starts and continues, right? So some, one of the trans- commentators rephrased John 1, 1 to 2 with this translation from Greek. So in the beginning, was continuing the word. And the word was continuing with God, and the word was continually God. What do you think John is trying to say here? That we miss out very much when we just use the word was. It's not a past tense. It's an imperfect tense where John is saying, God, this word has always been God, has always been with God, and has always and continually will be with God and God himself. The word is pre-existent, and the word will continue to be God. So yes, grammatically it sounds a bit off, but that's what it really means when John writes, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So our Lord, our God, did not only create, He's also the giver of life. God brought life into every living creature that He created. But for mankind, for Adam and Eve, He did something different. We were told in Genesis 1 and 2 that God breathed his breath into man and woman. Something that he did not do for the rest of creation, but he breathed his breath into man and woman, giving them life. God gave life. God also penetrated that darkness at the beginning with his powerful light. So as God created everything out of the living creature, God gave the light to shine upon the earth. So for John, as he introduced to us the word, holding, bearing, or going back to creation, John is saying this word will do exactly the same thing. This word will bring life into the world who are spiritually dead. This word will shine its truth and light into our spiritually dark world. Just as God breathed life into the being that he's crea- He has created and shone His light into the darkened world at the beginning. And you may ask the question, is that why is our world spiritually dead and dark? John answered that question very briefly in verses 9 and 10. So let us read together. One, two, three. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive 
him. Recently, I developed a new hobby, not too long ago, a new love. It's in gardening and plants. So, and I learned lots from gardening and plants. So we all know, isn't it, through our science days, our, class, our classes in, in science, that we know that light is the power for the plants to make food and grow. So over the last few months, because of my love for plants, I've put quite a few pots of plants in my apartment. So I only got one set of windows in my HDB flat, and I put plants away from that window at the other side of the wall. But after a few months, I realized some of those plants that were away from the window were growing in a bit crooked way. Can you say a bit singet? Why? Because they were gravitate, they were growing towards the window. So they no longer, those who are straight, no longer straight, they were like that. And I realized they were leaning towards the window. And why were they doing that? Because plant has been wired to, go, to grow its, its leaves towards the light for survival and for growth. So the plants in the far corners of my apartment have started to grow their leaves towards the window and the light source. And that's what plants do. It's natural for them to do that. Therefore, it's very unnatural for a plant to grow its leaves away from that light source. So if you put a plant at this point where one side is light, one side is dark, you won't see the plant growing towards the dark, but you'll see the plant growing towards light. What does that mean for us? In Genesis, in the account that we read about creation, God breathed life into them. God gave them every single plant in the garden for food, except that one tree. And the evil one came and kind of deceived them or chocho them a bit and say, you know, why did God withhold that one tree from you? Maybe God don't love you enough. I think God doesn't want you to be like him. Therefore, he, he withhold that tree from them because God wants to always be having control over you. And then Eve listened to that. She was deceived. She was she said, yeah, maybe God don't love me enough. God gave me everything except that one tree. Yeah, maybe he doesn't want to provide for me. And so Adam and Eve chose to give in to their doubts, chosen to listen to the alternative voice, and as a result, they disobey God's command. And from that point onwards, humanity, you and I, will constantly seek meaning and purpose in life, not by seeking God, but by seeking alternative voices and obeying them instead of obeying God. So when we pursue this alternative source of wisdom, of life, a different reference point than God for our living, we are like that plant in a very unnatural way, grows its leaf away from the light and into darkness. And we know when a plant does that, the plant will die. And so will we. And we have experienced a physical death. None of us escape death. We just pray for two families, a family that have lost their loved ones. Death is here to stay. 
Rajit, there's a bit, one, more, one even more scarier death. It's our spiritual death. And the result of us rejecting God is an eternal separation from God. That is what spiritual death is all about. But praise be to God and thank you to God that our rejection of God, our, our, our growing away from the light towards darkness, did not stop God from shining His light into this world. God shined His light in order to expose our, our, our desire, our dark desire, to expose our heart, to expose our sin. God's light invades every single corner, shining on every single one. No one is exempted. But yes, as you look around in the world, you look among our friends, our family, some has chosen to continue to remain in darkness, continue to be that plant that grow in an unnatural way towards darkness instead of the light. But in verse 12 and 13, John tells us that to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. There are, for those of us who are enlightened, who have been kind of exposed by God's light and come into the light, we are then given the right to be children of God so that we can grow in the light instead of growing away from the light and life. So Jesus entering our world that Christmas morning or that Christmas day was God's way of illuminating the darkness that sin has brought into this world. God wants to illumine just as He illumined the world as He created, as he created them. God wants to illumine this darkened world so that we can see and we can come into the light. So as believers, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas as God's way of reversing the, the decay that sin has brought into this world. We celebrate God reversing that decay by giving us a new lease of life. So back to my hobby. One of the plants that we love very much, that was very beautiful, began to turn brown. And I couldn't understand. I thought it was just maybe a, a passing phase, being new and young in, in this whole gardening thing. I let it turn brown. And I just kept following the instruction of what the nursery had told me, water the plants once every two days. But after a while, it got worse and worse. And I see more brown than green. And I knew that my plant was dying. So that was the state of it. I was very sad. I said, let me Google and see what was really the reason for my plant dying. And one of the reasons I was suggested was overwatering. But I tell myself, couldn't be, isn't it? Surely the nursery guy is right to water my plants once every two days, which I did diligently. But so the article suggests that if it's overwatering, one way to revive or save your plant is to repot the plant into dry soil so that the roots can heal and grow again. 
So one Monday morning, during my day off, I, that's the day that I do my gardening, I bite the bullet, I took, out, I took the plant out from the pot, and to my horror, it was soaking wet. Just as what the article has said. So I removed as much of the wet soil, squeezed out as much water of those soil that was still bound to the roots, I was too afraid to break any roots, replanted into the pot, put in new soil, and I didn't water it for two weeks. But nothing happened in the two weeks. I thought I've killed the plant. But I left it there. I left it there. And this is what happened last Friday. Just before I left for a wedding in, in Jakarta with my family, I went out of the house. I saw a new shoot. I said, hooray! The plant is alive. That's what God is doing, isn't it? God report us. Remove us from that soil that caused decay. Remove all the, all the junk. Put us back into the pod and put in new fertile soils. And with tender loving care, I didn't give any tender loving care. My tender loving care was not watering it. But God gave tender loving care and we are given a new lease of life. Our sinful self brings decay. God, God will bring about life. So at a single point in history, our Lord Jesus was born into this sinful world to reverse that decay. And John described it beautifully in John chapter 1, verse 1, at verse 14. And said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as, one of, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Two key words here help us understand this verse and the significance of what John is trying to say here. The two words are flesh and dwell. Flesh refers to the flesh and blood, which means that John is saying our Lord Jesus was born not as a superhuman, not as a God pretend to be human, but born as a human. The helpless baby, just like the sixth baby in my DG and other, every other babies, born into this world as a human, flesh and blood. The second word is the word dwell. And this carries the same meaning as the Old Testament understanding of when God dwells among His people. You know, in the Old Testament, as they travel from places to places in Exodus, they built tabernacle. And as he built a tabernacle, God dwells in the tabernacle, and that shows that God's presence was with them. And the same word here, that our Lord Jesus, born as a human, given the name Jesus, the name that was given to Mary by God, this Jesus now lives among us, his very own, whom he has created. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 81, the responsive reading that we read earlier on gave us a glimpse of it. What happened in that incarnation? So let's read together. One, two, three. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being born... 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What did, what did our Lord Jesus do? He chose to empty himself, took on the form of a human, to be created, to be a created being in order to reach out to us, in order to dwell among the very one that he has created. Our Lord Jesus humbly moved from his heavenly throne to a sin-marked and hostile earth. I want you to pause for a moment and think alongside with me. Think of the most filthy place that you can think of. The most filthy place that you can visualize. Ready? If they give you goose pimples, good. Because I was preparing this, I was thinking of the most filthy place. It gave me goose pimples. And imagine yourself staying in that most filthy place. That's what our Lord Jesus did. He gave out his home in heaven and came down and lived his life on earth. But the, the, the field that we think we can visualize and imagine is still not enough. You've got to multiply that by millions of times. That is the kind of descent that our Lord Jesus has gone into to reach us. So you can say that our Lord Jesus actually descended into a death pit. Our Lord Jesus descended into a death pit. And therefore, John wants his reader to grasp the depth of God's love for us. He started by introducing our Lord Jesus as a creator, the giver of life, the light to the world. And from being a creator, Jesus subjected himself, took on flesh, and dwelt in this death pit to be among us. But Jesus knew that his final destination is not to stay on in this death pit. His final destination, as we see from the Philippian passage, is death on the cross. So can you imagine this? That our Lord Jesus descended into this death pit, knowing that he is going to die the most horrific death, death on the cross. None of us know how we're going to die. If we know, we'll try to avoid it as much as possible. Jesus knew how he's going to die. Jesus knew the thrill that he's going to move into. But our Lord Jesus descended, born, and dwell among us in order to go onto the most horrific death, death on the cross. I once visited a missionary couple who reached out to people living in a rubbish dump in Mexico City. So if you know the Smoky Mountain in Philippines, this is like the Smoky Mountain in Mexico City. I had a chance to visit a, a missionary friends of, of mine, and they brought me to visit their colleague who was working among the, the, the people living in that smoky mountain in Mexico City. As we draw nearer to their place, I could smell the stench. And that is about one kilometer away from this place. Went to the house, we have lunch together. The, the stench, I must say, was a bit over, overwhelming. 
I didn't quite enjoy my lunch. I couldn't smell the chicken or the, the, the food that was nicely cooked because all I could smell was the stench. And I sat there asking myself, how far would I go to reach someone for Christ? How far would I go? So I asked this couple, why? Why did you choose to stay in this area? You could stay further away and still commute to this area and do your reach out. Can be done, isn't it? Say, yes, can be done. The answer was very simple. They want their place to be accessible by the very people that they are reaching out to. They want their place to be able to be a place where they can come in to their home and don't feel that they have dirtied their place. They want them to be able to walk into their house anytime and not feel that they have entered into another world. But to be different, their house is spick and clean. Yeah, they, 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 they stay in the area, but they have kept their house nice and clean. But bare, very bare, very simple. And they have been living there for a while, and people have been coming, walking to their house and saying, can you pray for me? Can I talk to you? And that was why they were there. Why did our Lord Jesus choose to dwell on earth? Can't he just send his angels? Rewire all of us? God chose to send his son on earth. And I think this is what Hebrews passage tells us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is why our Lord Jesus needs to descend into the death pit. God wants to be accessible, be accessible by us. Our Lord Jesus descended into the death pit to make the Father known, to share the pain and the suffering that you and I experience because of sin and death. He descended into the death pit so that He can rescue us and give us a new lease of life. And that's what John 17 tells us. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. See, before Jesus entered into the world, no one has seen God, not even the Israelites, not even Moses. The closest Moses got to seeing God was the back of God as God passed him by. When Jesus entered into our world, dwell among us, the disciple now is able to see God. God is no longer unseenable, unknown. The disciple and those who cross paths with Jesus can now know this Jesus, know God intimately. If you go all the way down to John chapter 1, verse 35 to 39, when God, when Jesus invited his disciple to join him, this was his words. Come and see. Come and see. 
come and be part of my life. Come and have a relationship with me. Come and see how I give you life. And so indeed, Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. In the closing song that we're going to sing later, this is a verse taken from the second stanza. King of heaven, now friend of sinners, humble servant in the Father's hand, filled with power and the Holy Spirit, filled with mercy for the broken man. Yes, he walked my road, felt my pain, joys and sorrows that I know so well. Yet his righteous steps give me hope again. I will follow my Emmanuel. So what is God doing at Christmas? Christmas is God reversing our path of decay to give us a new lease of life. God did not just give us a set of instructions because a set of instruction means that we can Google and follow it step by step. But the problem is we can't. We can't follow a set of instructions. Our Lord Jesus has to come in person to dwell among us to deal with the decay that sin has brought into this world. He needs to come to unearth that rotting foundation and give us a new foundation to give us new lease of life. Christmas is about God shining His light into our darkened world, a world full of darkness. And how do we know? Over the past three months, the Koreans were confronted with the suicide of three celebrities. The Londoners have to live with the, stepping of, the stabbing of innocents enjoying a day out in London. A 23-year-old rape victim was set ablaze by a gang of men, including the alleged rapist, as she made her way to court in northern India on Thursday, 5th of December, to testify to the rape. NTU student expelled for allegedly recording videos of women showering on campus. If you don't call that a dark world that we are living in, I do not know what you call that. And it's just a snippet, isn't it? I'm sure you can give me a lot more example from what you see, even from your own life. The sin, the way sin has darkened and decayed our life here on earth. That Christmas morning, 2019 years ago, God entered our world to give us a way out, to bring us back to God, to give us a new lease of life. How do we then respond to this Jesus, our life giver, our light? Will we grow in the light? Or will we grow unnaturally away from the light source into darkness? John tells us there's only two ways to live. And the first is in obedience. To believe, to receive our Lord and be given the right to be the child of God. And John the Baptist himself, not John the writer, but John the Baptist himself, 
went about testifying and telling others that Jesus is the light, Jesus is the life. It's proclaiming, testifying, and telling about, to others about Jesus is alive and the light, a regular staple in our life? Do we wake up each morning and say, who can I tell this good news to? I want to challenge you with that. I challenge myself with that too. Of course, the pastor is here, we meet people. But I want to challenge you with that. They wake up each morning. Do we ask? Because if, if this is really a historical moment that our Lord Jesus entered into this world to bring new lease of life, why are we not excited about telling others about this new lease of life? So the good start, let me give you a starting point. 25th December, our Christmas celebration. Don't wait till 24th December at 9 p.m. and you call, hey, John, do you want to come for my Christmas, my church Christmas party on 25th? Too late. The answer is no, I cannot. I got something on already. Today is the 8th of December. Can I encourage you to start praying? Maybe even immediately after the service, pray that God will bring one person into your mind that you can prayerfully invite for 25th December. If each one of us can bring one person, we need more than three services. But why wait for that one day? You don't need to wait for every Christmas. Oh, okay, I need to start praying 8th of December next year for 25th December next year. You don't have to. Don't limit yourself to that one day. God has given you life. And we can prayerfully pray that God will lead us to someone that I can lead and read the Bible with. It's nothing complex to read the Bible with somebody. It's as simple as finding a time, sitting down, open the Bible, and read what you read for devotion. And now you're reading it with somebody. Nothing complex. But he said, yeah, I'm so busy, I've got no time for that. One of my DG mates intentionally meets with fellow Christians in, in his workplace to do Bible study once a week. So they forego lunch. They come together and do Bible study once a week. I'm sure we can forego lunch one day. Just start your intermittent fasting later. Don't start intermittent fasting at 12. Start intermittent one week, once a week at 2. And when they do that, once a month, they intentionally invite a non-Christian colleague to join them. And each one of them, the Christian in the group, will share an evangelistic message. Simple one. They only got 20 minutes, 25 minutes in total. And they got to get back to their own work. You can surely carve out that time. For those of us who are bosses, who have our offices, how are you using your office, your business, to be a mission field to reach out to others? You can, isn't it? To make your place a place where people can know God. I know somebody who will put pamphlet, Bible verses, you know, tracts in the offices. And when the person comes 
And sometimes when they, they face problem, you'll be quite openly say, let's pray, let me pray about it. And when God answered the prayer, he will very openly say, yeah, I see, God answered prayer. To his subordinates who are non-Christians. But how does that living in obedience look like for parents and children and students? 25th is going to come very soon. It's going to end very soon. 31st December is going to end very soon. And then by the time 2nd of January, we're going to start turning on the alarm on our phone because we're going to start waking up at 6 a.m. for those who are bringing kids to school. For those who are working, if you're not on leave, you've got to start your day at 7.30, 8 o'clock. Is God present in that moment? When you have to wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock to get your two kids up, dragging their feet, feeding them, sending them off to school, and then off to work. Is God present at that moment? When you're faced with the daily grind in office, having to face with difficult colleagues, troublesome colleagues, difficult clients, boring work, is God present in those moments? God is present in those moments. Because our Lord Jesus came and dwelt among us. God has given us the Holy Spirit where He lives in us. Therefore, God is present. Jesus is present with us every moment of our life. Therefore, even when we go through the, the rut, go through the difficult time, go through the, the mundane routine, we can still testify and proclaim the good news that our Lord Jesus came, took on flesh, and dwell among us to give us a new lease of life. So let us live in obedience to God daily, praying for God to give us opportunity to share the gospel. And this is what Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. There's also another way to live our life, to continue in the darkness, continue to, to live very in an unnatural way of gravitating towards darkness instead of light. And I pray that if you are in that position, that you walk away today from today's service knowing and knowing the true meaning of Christmas, that our Lord Jesus came on earth 2,019 years ago to reverse that decay and to give you a new lease of life. Our Lord Jesus is inviting you to come and see, come and discover, come and find life and light in Him. And if you need someone to talk to, to find out more about Christianity, you can talk to us, talk to myself, the pastoral staff, or your friend who have brought you to church today. But do not leave this place not doing something about what you have just heard. So let us take some time, those of us who believe and those of us who do not, let us take some time to reflect on what God is challenging you this afternoon. And I'll close in prayer.